We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Matthew 6. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let's take just a moment to pray together. Gracious God, thank you that every word you have for us is a good word. And I pray that you would give us hearts this morning to receive and ears to hear all the words that you would have for us this morning. You know that we come from so many different places in this room. Some of us are here every week. For some of us, this is our very first time, very first time in a Christian worship service even. We can't even believe that we're here. Some of us, we come filled with joy and a sense of your nearness and presence in our life this morning, and others of us come, and it feels like, God, you are a million miles away. Some of us come having once believed, trying to figure out if we could ever believe again. God, we are all over the place, and yet, in another sense, we are all the same. And that is more, we are more broken than we know, more in need of your voice in our life than we know, more in need of the hope and the joy that you alone offer to us. And so come and speak, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. Uh, my name is Brent, and I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection Oakland. And uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been going through a series on the spiritual disciplines. And if you have been around, I hope, I hope kind of the definition of this is beginning to kind of sink in for you. We've said this every week, that spiritual disciplines are God-given practices, God-given practices, not man-made practices, not Resurrection Oakland practices, but they are God-given practices that lead us into a deeper experience of God's love for us, and as a result, they cultivate in us a deeper love for God and for others. And I know that for many of us, when we hear that word discipline, that does not sound very appealing, but I want you to know that the spiritual disciplines are such good news for all of us this morning. Because many of us, we feel stuck. We feel spiritually stuck. We feel like we are going nowhere in our relationship with God. And we're wondering how do we actually access and experience more of God's love and His presence in our life? How do we grow? And if you've ever asked those questions, God's answer to you is the spiritual disciplines. God's answer to you is not simply believe harder. Now, God's answer to you is some very practical practices that he has given to us. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the greatest barrier to your life with God? What is it that is most holding you back? What would you say? 
Some of us would, would probably think of a certain struggle or vice that we have, or maybe you'd say, well, it's this intellectual objection that I have to belief in Christianity. Or maybe it's, you know, kind of the, the surrounding culture that we live in that, that makes it hard to live as a Christian. What, what is your greatest obstacle, the greatest barrier to your life with God? Dallas Willard, who wrote a book called The Spirit of Disciplines, it's been very helpful for me, who wrote a book called The Spirit of Disciplines, it's been very helpful for me kind of in this series. Dallas Willard says that the greatest enemy to our spiritual lives today is hurry. That our number one problem is time. We, we, we don't make time. We are simply too busy to avail ourselves to the practices that God has given to us so that we can live in the fullness of his love and his kingdom. And the spiritual disciplines are meant to slow us down. They're meant to slow us down so that we can actually begin to do that. Now, so far, we've looked at Sabbath, we've looked at meditation, we've looked at prayer, and today we're talking about fasting. Oh, I can just feel the energy in the room. Oh, yeah, you're excited. You guys reacted the same way everybody else did this week when they said, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And I said, fasting. And they said, oh, oh. I don't see those people here this morning, actually. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know who you are. Um, listen, fasting is not something most of us get very excited about, but it is so important. It is so important. Um, I want to say something this morning before we dive into this, I want, that uh, Jesus loves food. He does love food. Uh, when you read the Gospels, Jesus is always eating. In fact, in both Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, there's this verse, this is one of my favorite verses in all the gospels, that says, the Son of Man, came, it's talking about Jesus, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's how Jesus was described. Jesus loved food. In fact, a lot of these books that I've been reading on the spirit, spiritual disciplines talk about how when you read the gospels, Jesus practiced the discipline of feasting and some of you are like, how about a sermon on that? Let's talk about that spiritual discipline. Sorry, all I have for you today is a sermon on fasting because we're pretty good at feasting, but we struggle with fasting. And I know that many of us in this room, uh, many of us, perhaps the majority of us, have never fasted. And maybe you've never even thought about fasting. And maybe just the idea of thinking about it is making you feel guilty because you don't do it. And I want you to know that my goal for all of us today is not to make you feel guilty. God never operates that way. It'll never really change you. My goal for you today is that you would leave uh, seeing what a gift, what a gift the discipline of fasting can be to your life, and that you would actually be excited about incorporating it into your life. And that seems hard to believe. Let me tell you, fasting is not fun. I know this from personal experience. It's not fun. It's not easy. I mean, who, who would purposely deny themselves food? It made me think this week about a very famous research study. It's been going on for decades. Uh, perhaps you've heard of it. It's called the marshmallow test. Uh, this is a true study. This is a true study. They, they took 
uh, a bunch of five-year-olds and they put them in a room by themselves with a marshmallow. And they said, here's, here's a marshmallow and if you, okay. if, you, if you don't eat this marshmallow, by the time I come back, <clears throat> then we'll give you two marshmallows. And I wanna give you just a, a little glimpse of that actually this morning. Let's see if we can pull this off. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? All right. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Yeah, we can clap for that. That is so good. We should just pray and all go get some lunch, right? <laughs> Actually, let's talk about fasting. So, in all seriousness, um, I do want to give just an important caveat up front because some of us have a very complicated relationship with food. And some of us shouldn't fast, actually. Some of us shouldn't fast. If you're pregnant or nursing, you shouldn't fast. Uh, if you have an eating disorder or you're still in recovery from one, you should not fast. If you're a young child, you should not fast. If you are frail and older in age, you, you should not fast. If you take medication with food, you should not fast. If you're a diabetic or you have kidney disease or you have some other health issues where it would not be good for you to fast, you should not fast. But that does not mean that you're off the hook. It doesn't mean that you can't actually glean. I don't want you to check out. It doesn't mean that you can't glean from what we're talking about today. And we're gonna talk specifically about fasting from food today, but there are other ways to fast. We could do a whole sermon on technology and our phones and social media. And the truth is that fasting from some of those things may be harder than even fasting from food for some of us. So everything that we're talking about today can apply to these things as well, all right? So first thing I want you to notice from this passage is that Jesus tells us who should fast, who's called to fast, 
who is called to fast. And it's pretty straightforward. He says in verse 16, when you fast. Jesus doesn't say if. He says when. And in fact, he actually says it twice in this passage. And when some of you heard that we were talking about fasting today, you thought, oh, that's for like those elite Christians. Well, let me tell you, there is no such thing as elite Christians. And fasting is not for elite Christians. It is for all Christians. And the reason that we know this is because this teaching that we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 6 comes in the very middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was the first sermon that Jesus ever preached. It is the sermon that he is most famous for. And it is a sermon where he tells us what life in his kingdom looks like, what the lives of his followers are to look like. And he talks about forgiveness and turning the other cheek and praying for your enemies. And he talks about money and not storing up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And he talks about prayer. We looked at this last week. He talks about, um, he talks about giving to the poor. And then right in the middle of the sermon, right where we are today, he talks about fasting. And he says, not if you fast, but when you fast. Uh, John Stott, who actually wrote a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he says this about the verses we're looking at today. He says, here is a passage of scripture which is commonly ignored. I suspect that some of us live our Christian lives as if these verses had been torn out of our Bibles. Most Christians lay stress on daily prayer and sacrificial giving, but few lay any stress on fasting. Evangelical Christianity in particular whose characteristic emphasis is on an inward religion of heart and spirit does not readily come to terms with an outward practice like fasting. We have severely neglected this spiritual discipline, but I want you to know that it is all over the Bible. And I will confess to you that I did not realize how much it was all over the Bible until this week when I studied it for the very first time. Jesus fasted all the time. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But so did basically everybody else in the Bible. Moses fasted. King David fasted. Elijah fasted. Ezra fasted. The prophets Jeremiah and Amos and Zechariah fasted. Esther fasted. All of Israel fasted together once a year on the Day of Atonement. John the Baptist fasted. The Apostle Paul fasted. The early church fasted in the book of Acts. And historians tell us that Christians in the first couple centuries all fasted twice a week, every Wednesday and every Monday, I mean, every Wednesday and every Friday. It is all over the Bible, but we have neglected it. You see, but Jesus assumes it. He assumes that his followers were fast. Now, here's the second thing I want you to notice from the passage. We're just going to kind of walk through it this morning. He tells us why we should fast. Why we should fast. Look, look at the text in verse 16. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's getting at motivation. And I want you to notice that Jesus does not start with the method of fasting. That's what some of us want. We're like, just tell me what to do. But Jesus never tells you what to do. He never, anywhere, 
He never says, here's how often you fast, or here's how long you should fast. He, he never tells us the what of fasting. He is far more concerned with the why of fasting, with the motivation of fasting. And he starts with the why not. He says, when you do it, don't do it in order to be seen by others. This is very important. There is a danger in spirituality. There's a danger in the spiritual disciplines. You can use them to manipulate other people. You can use them for purposes of self-exaltation, to show others just how spiritual you are. And Jesus says, if that's the reason you fast, you'll get the reward that you want, but it's the only reward that you'll get. And so he starts with the why not, but then he moves to the why. What, what, is, what is the right motivation for fasting? Well, he says in verse 17, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Translation, Jesus is saying, be normal. Take a shower, put some clothes on, go out, do your normal thing, smile at people, okay? And then he says, so that it will not be obvious to others so that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I think that's really interesting because Jesus says, don't fast to get a reward from people, but you should fast to get a reward from God. And we need to be very careful here because sometimes we think that fasting is a way to manipulate God. It's a way to twist God's arm. If I fast, then God will give me what I want. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Nor is he saying that a relationship with God is based on reward. This is very important. Christians get very nervous when we start using this language of reward because it sounds like some sort of work-based theology. No, in Christianity, a relationship with God is rooted in grace. It is rooted in grace. It is not based on reward, but hear this, there is a dynamic of reward. That's what Jesus says right here. And so the question is, is what is the reward that Jesus is talking about that comes from fasting? Richard Foster, he wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. It's another great book on the spiritual disciplines. And in that book, he says this, throughout scripture, fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. You know, there's all sorts of reasons that people fast. Fasting has actually become very in culturally. Intermittent fasting. People fast for all sorts of purposes and reasons, like losing some weight, looking good for their summer vacations, or improving, improving their gut health. But what Foster says is that in Christianity, fasting is for spiritual purposes. And so the question is, what are those purposes? Well, think of it this way. Culturally speaking, fasting is primarily about your gut. But in Christianity, fasting is primarily about God. C culturally speaking, people fast, people deprive themselves of food. But in Christianity, fasting is about opening ourselves up to the fullness of God. Let me, let me say it this way. We are called to fast in order to feast on God. We're called to fast in order to feast on God. He is the reward. He's the reward that Jesus is talking about in this passage.
We're called to fast not to get something from him, but simply to get him, to get more of him. And you see, if you are not content with, this, with the, status, spirit, the spiritual status quo, then fasting is for you. It is for you if you want more of God in your life. Or it's for you if you just want, maybe you don't, but you want to want. If you want to want more of God in your life, fasting is for you. And I want to talk about three ways for just a moment, three ways that we feast on God when we fast. Because I think this is really interesting, what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, your father is your reward. The one who sees what is done in secret is your reward. Feast on him. And when we fast, we feast on God in a couple ways. Here's the first. We feast on God's presence. We feast on God's presence. Now, in John chapter 4, Jesus has missed a couple meals. And his disciples come to him and they say, "Uh, teacher, eat something. And Jesus says to them, he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, what is the food that Jesus is talking about? He's talking about the fact that he is feasting on the presence of the Father. He's feasting on God's presence. See, God is always present. God is always with you. The problem is that we're not always aware of God's presence. Most of the time, we live in kind of a spiritual coma. We are totally unaware of the fact that God is around us and that God is with us. We're asleep to it. And if you think about it, food food actually has that effect on us. We call it a food coma. You know, you, you have a huge meal, a huge, you eat pancakes, you know, on Saturday morning and you're like, well, I guess I'm not doing anything else for the rest of the day. I'm just kind of done. There's actually a really interesting science behind that, that when you eat a big meal like that, your body has to work harder to digest it. And so blood begins to move away from the brain. And you know what happens? You become less sharp, less aware of what's happening around you. But fasting does the exact opposite. I read a quote from a medical journal this week that said this. It said, the behavioral responses to fasting are associated with increased synaptic plasticity and increased production of new neurons from neural stem cells. It also increases levels of a brain hormone called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, also known as BDNF, which is a deficiency that has been implicated in many other brain problems. So let me give you the the Brent Webster pastor translation of all of that. Uh, What they're saying is when you don't eat, your mind is less foggy. You're you're, you're more aware of your surroundings. And you see, as, as a Christian, when you fast, you're not just avoiding food. No, you are making space to be more aware of God's presence more aware of the fact that God is always with you. More aware of what Jesus talks about in verse 18, that your father sees you. God always sees you. His eyes, that's not something to scare you. That's something to bring deep comfort into your life. 
So many of us in this room this morning, we don't feel seen. I want you to know God sees you. His eye is always on you. His affections are always going out towards you. He is always with you. Fasting makes you more aware to what Augustine said, that God is closer to me than I am to myself. And some of you are thinking, well, you know, when I, when I don't eat, I don't think about God. <laughs> I think about how hangry I am. And I want you to know that I do too. But you see, that's why Jesus says this is a discipline. Spiritual gifts are given to you by God, but spiritual disciplines have to be learned. You have to learn them. And the only way to learn them is to practice them. And this is why prayer and fasting always go together in the Bible. You want to go deeper in your relationship with God? Let me just encourage you, start with just one meal this week. Maybe you've never fasted before. Start small. You got to learn to walk before you learn to run. Start small. And the time that you would have spent, that you would spend eating, spend that time with God. Spend that time meditating or practicing Lectio Divina, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, where you open God's Word and God speaks to you and then you speak back to Him. And if you're feeling more ambitious, Try going a whole day. Try going a whole day and spending every time that you would have spent eating, spend that time with God and see if you don't become more aware of God's presence in your life. We fast in order to feast on God's presence. But here's the second thing. We, we fast to feast on God's freedom. The freedom alone that God can give to us. Now, freedom is a big word in our culture. It is one of the most prized virtues and values in our culture. You hear people talk about it all the time. And the modern understanding of, of freedom is this. As long as I'm not hurting anyone else, I should be free to live however I want to live. That every desire I have ought to be met. If it looks good, if it feels good, if it tastes good, then it is good. And you see, we call that freedom, but ironically enough, the Bible calls that slavery. It calls it slavery because not every desire that we have is a good one. Many of our desires actually lead to things that are not good for us, and they are not good for others. Psychologists call this impulse control or delayed gratification. They say that it's actually necessary for a person to grow up and live a flourishing life in adulthood. I'm still trying to teach some people in my house what impulse control is, myself included actually. See, if you follow every desire that you have, you are not free. You're not free. You are a slave to your desires. And so what we need is we need a different view of freedom. And the Bible actually gives us one. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the story where sin enters into the world. And I want you to notice something very interesting this morning, that the first sin revolved around food. That's what we're talking about this morning. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but original sin 
revolved around food. And the serpent comes into the garden, tempts Adam and Eve by saying, you want this? You desire this? You think this will make you happy? Then you should have this. And that is the modern view of freedom. And guess what? It led to all sorts of breakdown in their lives. It, 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 it led to breakdown in their relationship with God. It led to breakdown within themselves psychologically. Shame entered into the world. They went into hiding. It led to breakdown in their relationship with one another, and it led to the breakdown of all of creation. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, fast forward to the very first book of the New Testament, we find a very similar story. Jesus is in the wilderness, and the tempter comes to him. And guess what he tempts him with? Food. Commentators say this is a replay of Genesis chapter 3. That where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus succeeds. And it's in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus is led into the wilderness and he has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and the tempter comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. It's food. And Jesus says this, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Please understand that the problem is not food. Jesus is not anti-bread. He's not anti-gluten. I think we will be eating deep dish pizza forever and eternity with him. The problem is not food. The problem is we have a messed up view of freedom. We think that freedom comes from living however we want to live and trusting our own desires. But Jesus is actually showing us in Matthew 4 that real freedom comes from trusting God's ways and God's word and God's voice. It comes from trusting God's desires more than we trust our own. And that means that as a Christian, sometimes you will have to say no to your desires. If you really want to be free, you have to learn to say no to some of your desires. Is there any practice that could actually help us to learn how to do that. Fasting. Fasting. Fasting is what God has given to us to train us to live in this reality that not every desire is good and that not every desire leads to flourishing and to joy. I was talking to someone recently and they told me that they fast once a month. And I said, wow, that's, you're beating the average, you know. And, uh, I said, why do you do this? And they said, well, how else am I supposed to learn to say no to what I want all the time? They said, all I see around me is sex and fame, and I want all of it. And the only way to train myself to say no is if I actually have something in my life that helps me do that. Your desires my desire, desire is not a bad thing. God created desire. But not all desire is to be heeded. We are to pay attention to our desires, but we are not always to be driven by them. And fasting teaches us that. It trains us in the way of true freedom. 
which is not pursuing what we want, but is pursuing what God wants. It's aligning our desires with his. It's not living however we want to live, but it's actually living within the design that God has created us to live, which always, friends, always leads to real joy. And it always leads to real life and real flourishing and real freedom. We fast in order to feast on God's freedom. Here's the last thing. We fast so that we can feast on God's justice. Now, we've we've said this every week that Sometimes we come to these spiritual disciplines and we think, oh, okay, this is like a me and God thing. That's what these are for. No, the spiritual disciplines are not just for you and God. They are for you and God and others. They're they're meant to grow us in love for God, and they are meant to grow us in love for others. All the spiritual disciplines do this, including fasting. And we see this most clearly in Isaiah chapter 58. In Isaiah 58, uh, the Israelites are fasting and they're praying, but God is not responding. And they're wondering why. And then God says this to them. He says, is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. God says the fact that people are going hungry in this world is not just unfortunate, but it is unjust. It is not the way the world is meant to be. And God is moved by their suffering. And he wants us to be moved by their suffering as well. Now, some of us in this room know what it is like to go without a meal because we don't have enough money to buy one, but many of us don't. We do not know what it is like to miss eating because we do not have the resources to get these things. But you see, fasting is an opportunity to intentionally join your life with those who are in need. It is an opportunity to live in solidarity with the poor, How does that look practically? It looks like this. When you fast, every time your stomach grumbles, it is an opportunity to pray for those who are hungry in our world and those who are hungry in our city. You you practice doing that, and I promise you one thing. God will grow you in compassion. Your heart will start to look a little more like his. And if you want to take it even just one step further. Try this. Try fasting and taking the the money that you would have spent on a meal and giving that to a ministry like City Team that feeds more unhoused people in this city than anyone else every single day. Or giving it to the Alameda County Food Bank. Or even better, buying a meal for someone that you walk by on the street. See, so many times we feel Sorry for people who are hungry. Friends, there is nothing countercultural about that. Everyone feels sorry for the hungry. God does not just want us to feel sorry for the hungry, He wants us to grow in compassion for them. You know, to feel sorry for them is very different from intentionally depriving yourself of food for the sake of the poor. That is truly countercultural. 
God wants to grow us in his justice. He wants to grow us in his compassion. And so he invites us to fast. We fast to feast on his justice. We fast to feast on his freedom and we fast to feast on his presence. Now, how do you end a sermon on fasting? Well, there is no better way to end than this table, actually. We, we end with this table every week, but there's no better week to end with this table than this week because this is a table of feasting. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says there's a time for fasting and there's a time for feasting. And friends, when we gather together as a body on Sundays and we gather around this table, it is not a time for fasting. It is a time for feasting. The only way to come to this feast this morning is to bring nothing. This is not a potluck. You cannot bring your goodness. You cannot bring your moralism. You cannot bring your affections for God. You cannot bring your promise to do better with the spiritual disciplines. This, this is a feast not for people who think that they're good but it is a feast for people who know that they're not. It is a feast for broken people who need a broken Savior. God invites you to come this morning purely because of His grace, because of the finished work of Jesus. And the wonder of this feast is that it points us to a day where there will be no more fasting, but there will only be feasting. Jesus says to his disciples the night before his death, when he gave this meal to them, he said that he would not eat or drink of this meal again until he drinks it with us in eternity. Jesus is fasting from this meal and he is waiting for the day when he will feast at this table with us. In a world where we will know God's presence, we will see God face to face. And in a world where every desire that we have will be healed, everything that we want will be good and right and true, and our great God will lavishly give it to us. And friends, it will be a world of justice. There will be no who go hungry. There will be none who lack anything. And if you have never come to this table today, I want to invite you to come. Friends, if you are hungry for God today, it is because he is hungry for you. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. The one who hungers for me will never hunger again. And the invitation of this table is to come and have all of your deepest desires met. And the God who created you, and the God who sees you, and the God who knows you, and the God who loves you more than you could ever begin to fathom. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup 
And he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, what a feast you have prepared for us. A feast that comes at great cost to your son but that is freely offered to us. Would you help us this morning as we come to this table to simply receive, to receive all that you have for us in your son and in your kingdom and in the promises that you have given to us and in the hope that we have for all of eternity. Help us, we pray. Fill us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.